Happy Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, or whatever other day you find yourself listening to this. I'm feeling quite in love today. I've got both of my dogs sitting next to me, breathing deeply, if you can hear them. I've been thinking a lot about zombies lately. I had a really intense zombie dream last night, and it was one of those dreams where it it really had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I woke up uh, right at the end. And it was, I think it was a good ending. I was, it was me and two other folks, and uh, we had to get into this building because the zombies were starting to do their thing. And I had to break away as a distraction so that my two cohorts could get in safely. And I remember I made my, I made my way into the woods. I was taking them out. And I think, I think I lost my head. I think I lost the top half of my head, and I was just laying there, and that was the last thing I remembered. And then I came to, and I had been fixed and saved, I guess, and I looked at myself in the mirror like, oh, hey, there's the top half of my face. Um, So anyways, I think that's because I went and saw Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead (laughs) in theaters. (laughs) And what a treat it was, man. Zack, Zack loves himself a zombie movie, and that's about all I can say about it. I think you should watch it. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, And being back in theaters has been cool. Going back into a theater is still a little shaky, but uh, it's been rather clean and spacious, and and I've really appreciated having that experience again because it's quite special. Speaking of theater and film, my guest today is Stefan Gregory, who does music mostly for theatrical productions, but in this case, we discuss Stefan's work on The Dig, a film that came out recently starring... Carrie Mulligan, and Ralph Fiennes. Perhaps I haven't paid enough attention, but I don't know that I've heard much about The Dig. And it was a really powerful and beautiful film. Meditative and uh, long in its shots and its moments. And, And the music did a beautiful job of cushioning that. So it was really cool to hear about the distinctions between theater and film music composition. Uh, and before we get in our conversation, I'd like to share something I've been thinking about lately, inspired by my recent uh, re- reviewing of I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Charlie Kaufman's uh, latest entry. And there was a moment where one of the characters was talking about paintings and talking about how essentially your environment, the environment you're in has little to do with the viewer and everything Sorry, it has little to do with the environment, that's right. It has little to do with the environment and everything to do with the viewer of the environment. Uh, Speaking to the the idea that no place has an inherent nature, and it's only what the observer brings to it. And that kind of put me in a place of thinking where when you get into that, you realize the observer is, is also a part of the environment. So then is it to say that the observer also has no inherent nature and then uh kind of asking what is inherent nature to an environment is a place inherently sad is it bright is it happy is it uh, pleasant is it dark does the past of that place change that is the energy uh malleable is it palpable so i've just kind of been ruminating on that and observing how i exist in the environments that i find myself in 
and, and not taking the environment too seriously and sort of watching the observations I have. So there's my two cents on environments. Uh, perhaps mull that around in your mind as you navigate your being. Stefan and I talked about a great deal of beautiful, beautiful things. He's a lovely soul. And I got to interview him while I was sitting outside, so that was lovely. Also, please forgive, uh, there may be a couple short, small echoes here and there due to the recording process. These are trying times, you know. But at the end of the day, I think our voices are there, our heart is there. And I really, really hope that not only you enjoy your day, you enjoy your life, you enjoy those that you love, but you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Check out The Dig, check out Stefan's other work, and have a beautiful day. How are you doing, man? <clears throat> How's your day been? I'm doing... What time is it for you right now? Well, it, it's only just begun my day. It's it's 8 a.m. here. Oh, my goodness. Where are you? Yeah. Um, uh, Sydney, Australia. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm at about 4 p.m., so I've been... I've had a whole day. That's so oh. wild. You're, you're, you're in that nice afternoon yeah. state. Yeah. Mm. I've, watched, I've watched two movies today. I... This is like my third cup of tea. I've had a couple meals, so. Oh wow! <laughs> wow! No, I'm just I'm just through my first, or halfway through my morning coffee. So, are you an everyday coffee kind of person? Yeah, I am every day. Generally, just one coffee a day. I'm very sensitive to it, and if I have it after midday, I can't sleep. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Mm. Does it keep does it keep your mind running or do you do you feel like jittery or anything? It keeps my mind running. Um and I do get jittery as well, especially if I have three or something. I mean it doesn't stop me sometimes. You know, there's that internal <clears throat> thing that wants the coffee even though you know yeah. it's actually gonna make you feel worse. It is a drug, yeah. <laughs> mm, it's a drug, yeah. <laughs> That's really yeah. interesting. I've I've been trying um, to to wean coffee a little bit. I haven't had it for a couple of weeks now, and I've been going okay. over to tea. So, yeah, I I find even if I have coffee at around like like any time after noon, like I can yeah. feel it in my sleep or I can feel it like when I'm laying down. It's really really yeah. strange. That's interesting, actually. I've had a lot of discussions about coffee um, over the years with people. It seems to be it's funny that we've come to this so quickly, but it's, it's, it's actually one of my favorite topics. Um, and I'm often pushing people to, to try to give up for a while to see how it changes your perception of the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think for a lot of people, it doesn't make much difference. They don't feel it. But yeah, I find it a very strong drug. I mean, I love it as well, but, but it's very powerful. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you have it every day at the same, especially like when I would use it, I would really only use it first thing in the morning or like afternoon if I had something to do and I was just a little sleepy like it would get the job done I would yeah I'd feel more awake I'd feel more alert but yeah there there were always repercussions and then when I would stop I would feel my body being like hey you know just throw some coffee in there and <laughs> just keep doing that yeah <laughs> but yeah. yeah and it's always when you're tired that you, you you want it and that's often when it can affect you the worst potentially 
because um, <clears throat> you're already at that sort of nervous end and your body's a bit jittery. And mm. Have you heard anything about taking or drinking coffee before you take a nap? Yeah, I have heard something about that recently, something in the media about it, what that it can make the nap more effective. I guess somebody mentioned it to me about a month ago. It was the first time I'd heard of it. And they said, you just, you drink a cup of coffee and then you immediately lie down to take a nap. And that's as far as I got. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what Maybe it can do for you, but. I mean, I guess if you don't go to sleep, then it sort of keeps you alert. So it becomes like a meditation or something. I don't know. I don't know either. Are you are you a plain coffee kind of guy? Do you do sugar, cream? Do you ever do fun sugary drinks? Uh, no, I'm not really a sugary drink guy at all, actually. Um, but I do milk in my coffee. We have a we have a coffee in Australia called the flat white, which is um, uh, you know, made with a machine and <clears throat> it's a style of coffee. I think it might have been invented in New Zealand. Actually, I think we just claimed it. It's become a sort of popular thing to order now in the world. Do you have, do you have flat, flat white whites. White over there? I don't. I don't. I feel like I've seen the term flat white. Yeah. It sounds. Yeah. It sounds familiar. It's supposed to be a a modest coffee. You know, it's just it's just a coffee with sort of milk in it. It's not very frothy. Yeah. But ironically, it's become a sort of a slightly pretentious term now. <laughs> have you had an americano anyway. before? Americano, yeah. Yeah, it is an Americano, I guess. An Americano, I didn't know it existed. My friend got one. Right. <laughs> he's like, I got an Americano. It was like this. It was like a really small cup. And I was like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's just water and uh, espresso shots. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, so you don't know what an Americano is, but you live in America. Yeah, I get I mean, that's, yeah. what, he, that's mm. what he told me it was. That's what I've seen it. As is just water with espresso shots. Am I? Is there something else I don't know? No, actually, I yeah, I forget what an americano is. That's right. It's what we would sort of call a long black or or something. But yeah, an espresso shot with with water in it. It tastes exactly like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I did it once, and I was like, I don't know what I, I don't know what I was expecting, but uh... I think in Europe they call it that an americano. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. It seems like an American thing to do, maybe. Just throw Is espresso. it supposed to be a substitute for filtered coffee or something? I guess. My my friend, like, he loves it. He's like, yeah, it's all I need, man. Like, it's not coffee. It's just it's just enough to get me going. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah. All right, man. Whatever you say. Yeah. I, I find even, like, like, if you really start to pay attention to what you put in your body, it's weird what happens to you. During sleep in particular, but, like, especially sugar. I've been looking at sugar a lot lately. If I have anything sugary like a couple hours before bed, it affects yeah. me dramatically in like a really weird way. Like I feel it in my head or I wake up more than I usually do. Yeah. And it's, it's strange. I've been trying not to eat find... a couple hours before bed. Oh, okay. I have heard that that's good. I've never had that discipline really. It's funny. I think that the food in the U S seems to have more sugar in it. Do you think that's right? Then it, then it does here. I've noticed that going over there that, um, food seems a lot sweeter. I've not been really outside of the country, save yeah. Canada. Um, right. But from what I know about television shows I've seen and, uh, I don't know, magazines I've read, it, it definitely seems to be the case that fats and sugars are kind of our... 
big we, hit. We claim it, yeah. yeah. Every, everything's sweet. Everything's, I don't know. Things are changing rapidly, though, man. Like, the amount of vegan options that are being presented, the amount of, like, plant-based things that are being presented, it's really, honestly, amazing what's becoming available. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So I just got yeah, done watching. Was... What were you saying? Oh, I was just going to say something about my experience that but what, what were you going to say? You just got dumped. I, w- I was going to start talking about the dig, but we can wait for that. Oh, I'd, I'd love to hear what you were going to say. <laughs> oh, only that um, it took me a while last time I was living in the States, not really living, but staying there for a few months yeah. to find find my sources of food, I guess. I found the local supermarket was so huge and it uh-huh. presented all these choices to me, but I just didn't have the the, the things I wanted. And I found, eventually found the supermarket that had the stuff for me. And so it's all there if, if you want it. You know, what kind of stuff do you look for? Oh, um, I don't know, really. I mean, I guess less processed foods. And uh-huh. I, re- I remember being overwhelmed by this aisle of orange juice that, that um, and and none of it, in my memory, none of it was like orange juice as I thought of orange juice, which was just like orange juice. Orange it was all sort of 30% orange juice and yeah. water and sugar and stuff. Uh-huh. And I, was like, I don't want to, I don't really want to drink that, but sorry, a bit, that's just me. But, but, um, so it took me a while to find my, my food source, but I got there. Yes. Do you, yeah. So do you eat fresh then most, most times? Yeah. I eat a lot of fresh food. We've got a really great little supermarket just up the road that does a lot of great fresh food and veggies. So yeah. What's a typical meal in your day? Do you do breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Do you do just lunch and dinner? I love breakfast, um, actually. Yes. I, this I morning I've had a muesli um, oh. with some seeds and some raspberries in it. So, what is that? Uh, Did you say a muesli? A muesli, yeah. yeah. What is that? You know, muesli, the, the Swiss breakfast. I've never um, heard of that. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. M- muesli? Really? I Am I saying it really? really? I don't know. Okay. I, I I keep hearing you. I, I got nothing. It, it's a Swiss word, and it's like it's a you have dried oats in it, and you have um, I mean you can have anything in it. You know, you, a common ingredient would be dried fruit, like sultanas or something. Um, I like to put seeds in mine, sunflower seeds, and chopped chopped up fruit if I'm feeling hmm. like I've got the time. Yeah, I've never heard of that, but I, I'm. It's exciting. Rasbe- it's raspberries good. are good. Raspberries are strong for me sometimes in the morning. Yeah. It's a particular, yeah, they are strong. I wouldn't always do raspberries. I'm just, I've got some raspberries at the moment. We'll see how long it lasts. I'm a, I'm a blackberry kind of guy. I just got blackberry oh, right. preservatives for the first time. And I'm really excited Lovely. to see how that goes. I've been getting really oh, into yeah. uh, peanut butter and jellies lately, which, by the way, that's another thing. Finding a peanut butter that isn't just sugar peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's been an influx of those at the moment in Australia. There's really? Lots of, yeah, there's suddenly about 10 different types of peanut butter you can buy, which is just peanuts. <laughs> it's, um, it's great. Overwhelming. There's, so, this, there's great. this organic market near where I live where you can, they have like nuts on tap where you can like pull the thing and fill a bag of how much you want. But they have a, yeah. a butter making machine. You can take any kind of nut and you put it in the machine oh, yeah. and it like presses it into a little tub of butter. So there's there's oh, mocha yeah. butter, chocolate butter. It, the times are changing. <laughs> almond, almond butter is quite good. Mm. I like. 
almond butter. butter. Mm. Mm. So do you, so do you do dairy then? You do regular dairy? I do dairy. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Um I do do that. Nice. And so lunch and dinner, do you usually hit those up at a, at a regular time? Yeah. Dinner is has become earlier now because I have we have a 3-year-old daughter. Oh my goodness. And, um, wow. Uh, and a three-month-old daughter, four-month-old daughter as well. <laughs> but um, the three-year-old eats with us. You know, we, we like to have dinner together. Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed that some families don't, don't do that. Um, but uh, I really? didn't realize it was sort of a choice, actually. We just have always done that. So we, we eat together quite early at about what do you, six. What do you mean you see that people don't do it? Uh, for I think a lot of families find it easier to feed their children separately and mm. do it early because kids like to eat early. Uh-huh. So they'll feed them at five or five thirty, and then they'll get the kids to bed, and then they'll do their thing okay. and have their own dinner much later, which I can see the advantages of. But uh-huh. I just haven't done that. What does a th- what does a three year old eat? Is, do they eat the same sorts of food that you eat, or do you give them like pretty much? Mm. Yeah, at this age, she eats what we eat. I mean, there's a few little things. She's not so keen on nuts actually <laughs> at, at the moment. They're too big and nuts are tough. They break out. Tough. They break into like a million pieces. <laughs> and they're hard. They're like little rocks, you know. Yeah, until you they get are. used to them. Um, but apart from that, she's she's pretty open to different foods. Actually, it's good. She likes cool. the vegetables, which is good. I really like watching my taste buds <clears throat> change with age. Like starting to like things that I know for a fact I could not stand when I was younger. Oh yeah. What's like what? Um. Well, onions. I would oh, really? I would say just this year I started getting into onions with like sandwiches and that sort of thing. Couldn't do it. Um, like a raw onion on a sandwich. Yeah, red onion, white onion. Yeah. But red onion, I've just got a real nice taste for. I've been trying to eat them like mm. on their own. That's a really oh, wild yeah. experience. That's a trip eating just straight onion. It's like, yeah. That sounds intense. It's a, yeah. It is. It's yeah. a shock to the yeah. senses. Um, mm. And then mashed potatoes. So I used to have a thing when I was a child with consistency. Like I couldn't, uh-huh. I couldn't eat anything that was like mushy, I guess. Uh-huh. So like refried beans, mashed potatoes, like beans in general, cause they're so squishy. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I had a gag reflex for it. I don't know why. And then I, probably like two or three years ago, I started eating mashed potatoes and I was like, wow, I've missed <laughs> a lot. It's a great thing. Mashed potatoes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Mashed potatoes with uh, Parmesan cheese. That's a game changer right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was eating mashed potatoes for dinner like three to four times a week <laughs> once I got back right. into it. I'm trying to think of something yeah. else. But yeah, I've just been really every time when I get that feeling of like I don't like that, I just I'm I feel like I'm learning to just ignore that feeling or just be like, well, why, you know? And then I'll try it anyways, even if I don't like it, because it's always an experience. The, yeah. yeah. The revulsion reflex is a really interesting thing about humans and probably all animals but that that experience where you just feel revulsion for something and it's not rational and um it can be for something which is quite good for you or even delicious but you just decide that it's revolting oh oh my gosh guacamole and hummus both within the past year i never ate them didn't like it because they're both strong they're strong characters especially hummus hummus yeah i like garlic hummus so it's got that like bite to it a little bit but yeah I've been, I've been eating garlic i would take a chip a pita chip and put yeah. garlic i put garlic hummus and guac on it at the same time 
uh-huh. life changing. So yeah, I've been trying to put avocado on. I'm avocado. I'm still trying to get around on, like just eating plain uh-huh. avocado. But I like it in sushi. I like it on like a bagel, like a breakfast bagel. But yeah, avocado's, avocado. avocado's got a real interesting taste to it. It's like an anomaly in terms of food. I don't even know what it is. Isn't it a fruit? I feel like it's a fruit, technically. <clears throat> it is a fruit. I mean, the whole biological distinction, you know, the, the culinary <laughs> distinction between fruit and vegetable, I'm, I think is a bit silly because, I mean, obviously so many vegetables are fruits. So yeah. many, if te- in a biological sense. But like in the kitchen, you call a fruit something which is, tends to be sweeter and you yeah. have with breakfast or dessert whereas a vegetable is something you have for dinner and that's a that's a definition for the kitchen not for the yeah not for the bio, biology department <laughs> um but yeah avocado like my daughter at, at three used to love avocado it was all she would eat for about a year and now she can't handle it i think because it reminds her of being younger what how does that work why do you think that is i don't know i think it's uh well i don't know actually i mean i can ask her but she won't give me an answer, which is <laughs> what, what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe she just got tired of it or she feels like that was part of her previous self and now she's... Wow. Yeah. She's going through changes. <laughs> yeah, going through changes. <laughs> I had the same thing with pineapple. When I was about 13 or 14, I'd eat a, yeah. I would eat like fresh pineapple all day, every day, until my mouth would be like burning with the acidity. Wow. And since then, like, I still love pineapple, but I can't eat, like, I cannot eat it like I used to. I don't know what I, I don't know what had gotten into me, but I could just throw it back. Different times, I guess. Because pineapple's... It's a great fruit. It's hard, it's hard for me to eat it. It's like, it's an attack. I can't eat that, like, any day or any time. It's very acidic, yeah. My partner had a craving for pineapple when we were living in Amsterdam and she was pregnant with my daughter. And it was winter there. It was snowing, and it was um, oh wow. I had to I had to find pineapples, which was <laughs> a bit of a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> you went on a hunt for pineapples in winter. Yeah, but it was like the 16th century or something. I had to find you know the, the, <laughs> the ships brought them in, and they were they were sort of slightly old, not very fresh looking pineapples, and <laughs> yeah. I found them. What's found the them. what's the preferred uh, preparation for the pineapples? Do you ring it? Do you just cut it cut it up into chunks? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I skin it with a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably do the whole thing normally, but no, it would depend. I, I yeah, ring it and then and then skin it. Yeah. I have this amazing invention. It's just a it's a yellow tube with like a blade on it and then a handle at the top. And so you just cut the top off the pineapple and you match the circle. Oh right. And you just twist it down and you pull it up and it's it's rings. It's incredible. And then you can use the th- the pineapple corpse if you will yeah. as like a, I've, yeah. I've used it as a cup i've made a smoothie oh, yeah. and then put it in there pineapples are crazy How long does that last um the husk or the the ring yeah. fruit uh, until the smoothie's corpse. done yeah the, uh-huh. the corpse yeah. lasts till the and end of the done. the end of the meal <laughs> i don't keep it around when you said then i i've i got this invention i thought you meant that you invented this thing <laughs> but no, it's just something you've. Man, I wish found. I invented that. Does that does sound really good. The guy who invented that's probably living it up right now. He was like, you know what? Probably. We got to find a way to ring pineapples more easily. <laughs> so you've lived in you lived in Amsterdam. You said, how did you end up in Amsterdam? Um, well, 
for many years, I mean, until until our current um, times, yeah, we were traveling around a lot. Actually, my partner and I. She's a costume designer. Oh, and we work in theatre a lot, and mm-hmm. so we were fortunate enough to spend many months of the year um, in Europe, moving between countries, working on projects, mm. and it's sort of a nice way to to live for a while because you can um, you work on a project for a few weeks in Amsterdam, for instance, and you sort of live there and you get to experience that place and the culture and try to learn the language and, and uh-huh. you put on a show and then you and you. So somewhere else. would you just live in a hotel or something? Yeah, they put you up in accommodation normally. Okay. Like they, the, sometimes, because the companies are really used to doing that over there. They're used to bringing in people, not normally from Australia, but from uh-huh. other parts of Europe. And, or, um, and so they've often got apartments and it's not a great extra expense for them because they're used to it. It's sort of part of hmm. their budgeting. Hmm. So, yeah, it was... Can you tell me anything about Amsterdam? I know things are very different there in terms of like, I mean, all I really know about Amsterdam is that the, the laws revolving around like plants and drugs are different, like much more different than other places. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the first thing that you learn or think about when you go there, but that sort of fades quite quickly, really. I mean, it's not really what Right. Places are, Not like about. everybody's I mean, the, about it. <laughs> everyone's about <laughs> drugs and um, and prostitutes. But but yeah, the, the, the sort of famous area of Amsterdam with the, the prostitutes and the and the drug cafes. But um, drug cafe. Wow. What is that look um, like? I picture like it's a just like a little cafe. It's like a coffee. They're, they're called coffee shops, and you huh. go in there and and you can buy marijuana, and uh-huh. it's, there's all different varieties you can have. But huh. um, I mean. I experienced that I think the first time I went there, but then, or maybe and maybe once other time. But I, yeah, my general experience of going to Amsterdam is not really seeing that <laughs> side of it. Right, you know, you're, right. you're working there and you're experiencing it as a. Yeah. You know, I'm, work, I'm working with Dutch people, and uh-huh. I much prefer. You know, that's the nice thing about working in a city is you get to see a side of it that you don't as a tourist. You, yeah. You um, you get to see the people and and how they, what they have for breakfast, and mm. you know what. It's the experience of, of living in an apartment there and going to the supermarket and thinking about what you're going to buy and cook. It it, it helps you understand a, a you know a place and the people. I like that. Yeah. How how are the theaters and the architecture? Uh, they're really beautiful. I mean, mainly worked in this one theater. Um, what the actual theater? I don't know what it's called, but the the company used to be called Toniel Group Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and the they're now called International theater amsterdam um it's yeah it's a very old built a beautiful building it's like the, mm. the 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 gracht um the the canals um and and, and all the beautiful the beautiful apartments that face onto those it's just like wow it's a beautiful place to to stay and if you're rich enough to have a place that faces onto one of those <laughs> canals it's just it's glorious there mm. and the windows are really big there so you walk down the street and you can you can see into everybody's house Oh wow! Um, yeah, I'm curious. It's, yeah, it's there's a culture of, of um, openness or something, um, mm. and 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 freedom there. They don't like. Um, I guess it's a bit like the U.S. in that sense, but individual freedoms are quite important to the people there historically. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a really nice place actually. Where else have you lived that's stuck out to you? 
Um, I spent a bit of time in Basel, actually, because I've done a few shows there, which is in Switzerland. Mm. Um, uh, Switzerland's an interesting place. Yeah, it's really like. Um, well, it's really like a lot of small countries that have been brought together to be a country, you know, because <laughs> they have, you know, there's like four languages there that people speak mm. quite readily, you know, um, German, French, um, Italian and English as well, even though it's not one of the official languages. Huh. And then people speak. Um, and then that's the, just the official language. And then there's actually what the people actually speak on the street, which is called Swiss Deutsch or Swiss German, which is nothing like german at all wow. you know it's, it's just it's it's so um multilingual which is fantastic mm-hmm. and yeah it is a very um clean place and a quiet place um the mountains are really beautiful there hmm. really beautiful the alps did you get to explore any like really like actually going out into nature at all i love doing that yeah hmm. yeah um yeah, a few years ago when I was there, I, I took the weekends to, to travel by train. Oh, it's so fantastic oh. traveling by train in Switzerland. It's fantastic. I feel know. like I've seen videos of what it might look mm. like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can just you look out the window and it's like a, it's like a National Geographic movie just <laughs> you know, at, at your window as, you, uh-huh. as you're going through the Alps or something. Mm. And, and the trains there are so efficient and mm. they go everywhere and... and you can just decide in the spur of the moment to turn up to the train station, grab a ticket <laughs> to somewhere across the country, and you're there two hours later, and you're walking in the Alps. Wow! Um, and and people love to to hike there. People love it, and you can see why because it's just a landscape yeah. built for it. Um, and your sense of scale is really different because you can see like a town a long way away, and it feels like it's close, but it's actually a the mountains are so big there compared to what I'm used to, particularly in Australia, uh-huh. that that um, it's a bit disconcerting. Um, it feels smaller, but it's actually much bigger than it is. Does it look yeah. like fake, almost? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. You feel like you're on a chocolate ad or something. <laughs> and it's got those brown cows with the bells. Oh. <laughs> yeah, hmm. which are protected by law. Yeah, it's, it's a great place. Oh, they're protected by law? How, how does that work? I think so. Oh, actually, I don't know. It's it just popped into my mind. Someone <laughs> told me that. I mean, I think that the farming there is subsidized. Yeah. A lot um, because it's because the economy does well. It's expensive to be a farmer there, and therefore, if they don't mm. subsidize it, they no there would be no more farmers, kind of thing. So I think right. they're sort of trying to pr- protect their their historic industry because mm. people have been farming those cows on those mountains for hundreds of years, I guess. Wow. That's beautiful. So how do you uh, how did you get into theater? How did you find yourself working in that area? Um, how did I get into theater? That I don't really know. A lot of people ask me that. A lot of people who want to do what I do say, "Well, how how can I do that?" Well, I don't want to know th- how to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know how to do it. Um, I think. I mean, I was at university and I studied maths. Yeah, I saw that um, you had a you had a pure mathematics degree. That's what is that? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
uh, sounds righteous. If I can, if I can, it does, does, doesn't it? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like to tell people that. Um, Why would you need it, to? <laughs> um, it it changes people's perception of who you are quite a lot when you tell them that. It's interesting, you know. Um, but I love mathematics. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's just the study of of abstract ideas, really. And, right. And, and patterns and logical reasoning and um, it's yeah yeah I, I love mm. that but I, I hung out a lot with the, the sort of artsy weirdo crowd yeah at university as you do and I, I guess from that I sort of met people and and wanted to be a composer this I had this dream of, of writing music which I, which I'd always done but I had didn't have the qualification for that and so one day <laughs> someone offered me an opportunity to do it without any qualification um a little independent theater show and how how would you I compose and, like were you writing right off the bat or were you sort of were you playing one instrument a couple instruments when you first started i learned the guitar well i never really learned properly i had some piano lessons when i was a kid yeah like second grade or something my dad was a guitarist and a folk musician he played mm. a lot of different instruments like banjos and oh, lots wow. of weird instruments that he uh-huh. collected. So I learned that stuff. I learned sort of basic music theory through him. Mm-hmm. But I guess you just, like a lot of composers or musicians, you just, you're you're improvising and you're just making stuff <laughs> up as it, when yeah. you're young. You know, that's just how it is. And I had to teach myself to read and write music. Um, I knew how to do it in a basic way, but uh-huh. to do it, properly like to write for proper musicians you know people who are really 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 trained at this stuff um, <laughs> yeah um you have to do it with a lot of proficiency and and so i've really worked on that mm-hmm. over the years and this is me historically like i'm actually quite good at that stuff now right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't i don't want people to get the idea that um, <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> that i i i know I, I do now do that stuff professionally but 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 back 20 years ago i i you know i had to teach myself i i, I was I sort of chose to to bring myself into this career, and so I was um, to, I had to teach myself all this stuff. I so was it theater that I you, eventually went to the conservatorium? Was it theater that you envisioned yourself composing for, in particular? No, not in particular. Really, it was just um, an outlet of, for expression, um, and I'd done a bit of theater, you know, like as a as a kid, you know, yeah. as a sort of act you know as an amateur actor you know and so um it's embarrassing to say but (laughs) but it's a certain kind of um there's a lovely energy from those little groups of people who come together to kind of make something make a creative project and um that really appealed to me and when i started doing it in my adult life and and professionally yeah it really stuck with me it really worked for me Uh, um, it's it brings together really interesting people, uh, really smart, weird people who don't fit anywhere else. Mm. And from a composer's point of view, what's great about it is that there's a deadline. So as a musician, <laughs> you you tend to um, put off completing anything. <laughs> you know, you just the projects mm. just live in your mind for years. Yeah, yeah. But finally, here's this thing where you've got to you've got to make something in three weeks time otherwise and whatever it is is what's yeah the, the fire lights underneath you for sure yeah 
yeah, there's an opening night, and and uh, so whatever you've got by that day is, is what people are going to have to listen to, and <laughs> um, that's actually wonderful, and it makes you be less precious, and um, yeah, it's a great, great, great thing to teach you to be a composer because mm. you just have to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm scoring my first film right now. It's a short film, and my friend really, yeah. Um, and I ask him, I'm like, please give me a day, <laughs> like, give me a day yeah, yeah. that you needed me to give it to you by, because it's not like <laughs> it's not like theater where there's an opening night and it like you know, and it's not a big budget film, so there's no real deadline. It's just kind of like we're making yeah. it, but I'm like, please, man, like, because I'll try you to could just work on it for a year. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't know. I find when I work, like, I can't. I mean, I I can't work for like. 20 minutes or like an hour like like when i do yeah. it i'd sit down like hey, well i guess i'm gonna do the whole film so i just have to spend like several hours so i'm like just give me a <laughs> give me a time man but yeah it's been a really nice uh learning learning experience for sure what are you using to uh score logic what, logic is where yeah. i'm most comfortable at the moment and so. you're just sort of using uh built-in synthesizers yeah um it's mostly like yeah. drones bass yeah. Some of the like yeah. strings and wooden instruments like lightly. Um but I I only really started making music on my own through like Dawes within the past couple years, so I'm still yeah learning a lot as I'm as I'm doing it. And I got FL Studio. That's that's I'm trying. <laughs> I think I'll make my way there. But yeah. FL Studio. Yeah, it's another uh it's another I don't, I don't know that one. Yeah. What do you use? I use Logic a lot. Mm -hmm. I started on it many years ago, and um, I like it because you can compose and record audio and bring those two things together. So yeah, yeah. it's great actually. It's great. It's re it was really easy for me to get into, like really really seamless to just start away. But yeah, I just have a little I just have a little MIDI keyboard and off I go. That's great. <laughs> I've done whole projects just with, well, actually, I've done a lot of projects just with my laptop. Um, in fact, I did this whole film with my laptop. Wow, um, really? When, when, I, when I'm traveling, yeah. That's really cool. I've, I've really, every, everything's in that little box now. That's amazing. Yeah, and you can just whip up something that sounds so good in like a night, like with just the simplest, like presets yeah. in there. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah, you really get um, drawn into it, don't you? Like, it's making a track takes. Yeah, and I, I don't hours. like, I don't use vocals or anything. I usually work with like ambient music, so it's so easy to just yeah. find like a really nice bass, a really nice like yeah. synth, and it's just you just hold, the, <laughs> you just let it go for a yeah. while, and you're like, wow, that's yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah, that's real. Yeah, good. it's good to tweak the little, um, you know, tweak the parameters a little bit as you go. Um, it just gives it a little bit of extra something. How do you, you do know, that? You just play. What do you, what do you mean when you say that? Well, like there'll be little controls on on yeah. the whatever the instrument is that you use, mm -hmm. um, and if it's uh, if it's like a synthesizer, there'll be like a cutoff or right. a resonance or other, other sorts of things. And you'll find that if you can just find something that that when you move the knob, you know, that <laughs> creates. It, yeah. it gives a, a slight variation to the texture, which still sounds good to you. Uh -huh. it, it will just give the give the sound that little bit of extra something, you know, rather than just sitting in that right, one right. sound. And the more you can just 
add idiosyncrasy to, to moments, I think that, mm. um, uh, or if you can, if you can get a recorded sound and, and process that to, through the synthesizer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I find working in, you know, in the laptop just by itself with no recorded is it, um, after a while you want to start, yeah, just injecting idiosyncrasy, uh, you know, no- noise and, and yeah. Cause it can start to so sound find ways to do that. like digital if it's just the same sound yeah it can get that it can yeah i mean these these instruments are getting better and better you know these synthesizers are so good now that you just play a note on them it's like whoever's programmed them (laughs) has programmed that kind of nuance and soul into it and it's like wow that's that's great Uh my job is done uh, (laughs) so what's the process of of scoring a theater production what does that look like well it's very different depending on the director and the company. Mm-hmm. Um, I work a lot with Simon Stone, who directed The Dig mm-hmm. um, in theatre, and that's how I got the gig on okay. that film. Cool. So we've done a lot of theatre shows at some really interesting places uh, in Europe in particular. And he normally likes to write the project. He normally likes to write the script. Um, and he often does that very late in the process. So <laughs> it's, it's not unusual. We will turn up to the first day of rehearsal and there'll be, there'll be nothing. There'll be no text. Wow. And, and that's unusual. Like most theater directors, I'd say, wouldn't work that way. Uh-huh. I guess the convention is that, in Australia at least, the convention is you turn up to the first day of rehearsal with a script. If it's mm-hmm. a new work, <laughs> there's, there's a script. And we all read it, we talk about it, we start rehearsing it. We we read it first, and we get up on the floor eventually, and we start rehearsing it. Text changes with the writer, and you know it's, it's a process. And after six weeks, hopefully it's gotten better. Some <laughs> text has changed, and you put it on. But with Simon, he likes to um, he likes to make it as as he goes, and he writes and directs it, um, which is a bit unusual. But often, yeah, the text doesn't arrive till very late in the the process. Mm-hmm. So you're really left. Um, and it's the same with a normal theatre process you have to wait several weeks into it to really see what the production is you can't just tell from the text itself mm-hmm. the script you've got to see what um, comes from rehearsals it's it's like you know in scoring a film like imagine scoring the film from the script like you couldn't do that <laughs> yeah. right yeah you have to you have to see a, a cut hopefully mm-hmm. um and in theatre, you don't get to see that cut until you've got a great train going on, on there. I heard it. Is that a train? Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Nice noise. Uh, <laughs> there, you don't get to see that first cut in theatre until, yeah. you know, the first run, which is often the last week of rehearsal. And so you've only got a sense of what it's going to be mm. until then. So you have to sort of guess. And I like to just write a lot of music and write a lot of ideas and have a lot of ideas options available to me so when it comes down to it i've got choices mm-hmm. i can make um because you know inevitably you're going to get it wrong a lot of the time and so you yeah. gotta have a backup but um yeah frequently it's just a very short turnaround it's a very short turnaround there's not much money in it compared to mm-hmm. film um so you have to do it very quickly and if you're lucky you've got a little recording budget and you can record 
some some players uh-huh. um, and then it's likely to change a lot after you've recorded and and so you have to throw a lot away and change it and then come up with something in the last minute and um, so I, I love that about it it's very uh, MacGyver-esque you know breaking <laughs> um, stuff together yeah. Where, yeah. so where are you on opening night normally in the audience watching mm-hmm. yeah yeah how does that and feel <laughs> seeing your music oh i mean the first few times you do it it's really terrifying and exciting <laughs> and and um you know you're like wow people are going to actually listen to something i wrote uh-huh. and then after you've done it a few times you realize that people don't actually care what you wrote they, they care about they care about the show and it's just really inconsequential and then i they go oh did you you, you wrote that oh, okay you know <laughs> You didn't just find that somewhere. Good and for you. Good for you. Good for you. Great. Um, yeah, it was, that was all right. It was nice. Um, people, people don't think about the music that much. Uh, mm. I, I've had people say to me on shows, oh, wow, I didn't even notice there was any, you know, musical sound in that show. I just didn't <laughs> think about it. And Man. which is actually a great compliment. You know, there was a show which half of it was scored. Half of it had, had you know, an ambience yeah score through it but it was very atmospheric very uh-huh. sound designy and so it was kind of nice that they hadn't noticed that it. it was for them it was a seamless part of the production but so you've been credited as a as a sound designer as well how does that how does that work with the composition what does that mean look i don't know if anyone really knows what that means <laughs> in this in, in this industry i think i think it's a way for companies just to sort of employ you and say, look, you're just doing everything. We're going to give you this fee. You just have to do everything. And we're not going to employ anybody else to help you. So you just have to do everything that's required. And it, and it could be, and it could be, yeah, it could be anything. And you, you just have to, you basically have to just provide the audio files for the, uh-huh. for the show, whatever they are, you know, and if there's sound effects, if there's ambience. Oh, so you do that too then? You do sound effects? Oh, yeah. You do wow. everything. I mean, I try to I try not to do sound effects as much as I can if, if they if they're written into a script. So yeah, what do what sound need, effects? That, what do you need? need like weather or like I'm trying to picture like what a stage production would need in terms of sound effects. I mean, historically, there's a lot of sound effects written into theater scripts, mm-hmm. and in the in England in particular, it's a, it's a very it's it's understood that you have sound effects. I guess I don't know much shows. about it. What are, what are some examples um, of? Well, you know, like the cliche is like, you know, there's doorbells or, okay, or right, rain okay. or dogs or in the script or, um, but you try to avoid those. Uh-huh. I mean, unless it's absolutely intrinsic to, to the action that happens, you, you, you need, yeah. you need that in it. Um, but that's not like, that's, that's film for me. Like the reality is, is film. Like when you watch a film, everything is real uh-huh. or everything feels real. Like even though. You're watching someone, you know, make a cup of tea, and you hear the sound of the water pouring into the cup. Yeah, and it's all been done with foley later. You know, like it's not uh-huh. often, often, you know. So it's all fake actually. But when you're watching it, you perceive it as being true, and, and that's sort of the, the paradigm of film, and that it, you believe what you're seeing is true because uh-huh. it's photography. But in theatre, you're aware of the of the fakeness of it all, mm-hmm. all the time. So I think it's better not to have those sound effects and stuff and not to try to embroider um, the reality with all this detail when it's the imagination can do that better. 
mm. in theatre. That's its strength, theatre, is that the imagination fills in the gaps. And, and the rain that you can imagine is always going to be better than the rain that you hear through some moderately cheap speakers, <laughs> which, which is always just going to sound a bit like white noise and not right. quite like rain. Um, I mean, actually, rain is one of those things you do end up doing quite a lot, but, uh-huh. um, but still. Yeah. So how does that differ from film, then? In terms of sound effects or... T- your, your composition, like score, scoring the dig, how, how was that as an experience as opposed to what you're used to in, in theater? It, like, it's sort of 90% the same, hmm. exactly the same. You know, like, in its essence, it's the same job. You're, you're providing music to help tell a story. Right. And your music is subservient to um, a collective artistic work. Mm-hmm. So it's not just music for the sake of music. You're, you're, you have you have to serve this story, and you have to serve this film. You have to write make the right music for that film. Yeah. But it's interesting. It seems to me that in the detail, there's this really key thing which is flipped in film. It's like something is the opposite when it comes down to the detail of it. Writing for film is sort of the opposite, moment to moment, than for theatre. And I think it's to do with the truth thing I was getting at. Mm-hmm. It's if. Film music, when you put it on stage, seems cheesy often, hmm. and and theater music put onto film just sounds like it just jumps out too much, or it sounds too conceptual or or bold or something. And you you have to be so true to to the other elements in film. Um, it's more difficult to be radical without making yourself unwelcome in film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think well, that's been my experience so far. Yeah, I'm not that experienced at it, but that, but that's been my. Are you are you looking to so get far. to get more film jobs now? Yeah, I'm trying to now. Yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's really nice doing film. Actually, it, it's great. You have this permanent thing that you've made. In theater, it's gone. You know, the yeah, show closes. Yeah. No one has any memory of that's, it. And that's a, yeah, that's really interesting to think about. Well, they have a memory of it. They have that's all they have, which is <laughs> yeah, a beautiful yeah. thing. But, but, yeah, I've realized after this film that people sort of going, "What? Who are you? What? What are you doing this film? Where did you come from?" And I'm like, "Well, I've been doing this for you know, decade and <laughs> yeah, a half." Yeah, yeah. But no one cares about theater, and and, and they're like, "You don't really play exist." It. Play it for us. Yeah, you play it. I can't. <laughs> and I've got these sort of recordings of stuff I've done, but it doesn't yeah. translate the same way because it's been done a theater show and often it's like a multi-channel experience or it's yeah. done a bit cheaply or or it, it just doesn't um have the production values or it doesn't stand up in the same way that mm-hmm. film does um it's harder to appreciate the music without knowing what the theater was behind it i yeah. guess is the dig getting a physical release the soundtrack uh not at the moment I've, i'm working on that but um that'd be really really special I mean, it would be very special for me i'd love that to happen um but uh i've got a campaign netflix they're not that keen to release it <laughs> sort of not, not not much in their interests i guess that's not their thing mm-hmm. basically yeah it's it's really interesting to see what uh film scores get soundtracks i i pay a lot of attention yeah. to that because i buy records and of course like i talk to composers like you so like yeah i'm really interested in that so i get to see like what people decide to what they decide to press and why not and i always wonder like why certain ones get it certain ones don't so yeah i'm learning about that too it surprised me because i sort of thought once because i had record companies offer to put it out like really good oh really companies and Mm -hmm. oh yeah and 
and people writing to me about it and I thought oh great this is going to happen but uh-huh. turns out even with that behind it Netflix just they just sort of um, don't want to do it and I'm not sure why that is because it seems to me like it wouldn't be much for them to do it or something well, I also think but, it's, a, um, it's a substantial but film I guess it is. It's, a, it's a really substantial film it's not like because you know Netflix produces so much that some some things just aren't you know yeah, there aren't there aren't necessarily big names attached to it. It's not you know, but like the dig is just like, like wow, like a a substantial piece of art. So yeah, yeah. And I could I can already see like there's there's so many cool covers that could be made for that. Yeah, because like, there's <laughs> yeah. I mean, beautiful photo like beautiful cinematography. Maybe like a picture of the boat or something. I don't know. Just like oh yeah, so many, <laughs> so many exactly. things. It'd be great. Exactly. I mean, I would love it. I'm really. Still campaigning to make it happen, but keep doing it, man. It's a bit late now. It's a bit late because yeah. films come out, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping it can. Well, hey, man, some movies take like like the movie Her that just that's just coming yeah. out in uh, in April, and that movie came out in 2013. So I mean, that was different because that was like Arcade Fire, and they had like a bunch of rights stuff that was weird. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, random scores get pressed all the time. Random stuff gets repressed. So yeah, just keep hopefully keep campaigning, hopefully. man. I don't have much out there, so it's. Is it on Spotify? I haven't checked the score. No. Really? No. Wow. How does that work? Digital no. release. Well, it's the same thing. Like it's the same thing, really. Do they have to like pay um, to do that to get that done? Yeah, but they have. I mean, the record company would take care of that. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Um. Um. Mm. But they also do have a little record company for releasing as well. I think. I think they can do it themselves as well. Mm-hmm. But. I think it's just sort of too much in there yeah. for them to think about that they're not they're not a record company. Mm-hmm. But then I hope that they can pass it on to someone who will do it. Let's see. I hope to see it, man. The, I thought the music was beautiful. I paid very close attention to it this morning, and the piano in it Thanks. was just lovely. Thanks. So I appreciate the work Thanks. a lot, and I'll I'll be first in line to pick up a copy if it gets a press. Okay, oh, great. <laughs> you can hold me to it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think we've got enough of a conversation here for an episode. Great. So Great. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. No Lovely problem, pine man. tree in the background. Thank you. Evergreen. I've been enjoying that. I've got a...